The Daily Rios, Episode 494, Smallville Season 1, Part 2. everyone this is your host peter week two of the daily smallville covering episodes six through ten of season one you can find last week's individual episode notes on the website what follows in this episode are some truncated thoughts on the five episodes that i watched episodes six through ten based on those larger notes on the site but first we have some feedback John Griggis writes on the website, I haven't seen Smallville, and I doubt I ever will. However, I will scour each of these sets of notes. I'm enjoying them for two reasons. One, it is a great example of how to really enjoy and deep dive a story, an episode, film, comic, play, etc. I'm inspired to tackle some things in the future in a similar way. And John, I'm looking forward to what that might be. And then his second point, it reminds me of the old deep dives you did with Adam, among others, on CGS. Your insight always added a lot to my understanding and appreciation of the work. Uh, I have a ton of notes from various comics that I've read, comic-related projects, and this is kind of like the start of that. You know, I did a a little bit of this on the website when I dumped a whole bunch of images from the old AOL website that I used to have. And I I did some deep dives on Starman and talked about the uh, J.M. Straczynski run on Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, I have tons of notes, so I could continue to do something like this. Um, We'll see. We'll see what happens this year. Daryl Taylor, someone that I text regularly, uh, says, people forget how Smallville not only helped save a network, but sparked more interest in Superman in the mainstream audience than the comics at the time. And this goes to that larger point that I talked about, about Smallville being in line with Blade and the X-Men animated TV show, the Batman animated TV show, the X-Men movies, pushing superheroes and the superhero concept to a larger audience. And, you know, as I watch these episodes this week, this past week, how they are paced, how they are shot, using a central location for all the characters to go to uh, as a way to meet and to advance the plot. I mean, this is stuff that's still going on on most of the CW shows to this day. Chris Matthews uh, says, Peter, I'll come along with you on your Smallville pods. Nice to have another perspective. And then, uh, this was on Twitter, we had a discussion, and Chris asked if I was going to drop a first thought before the rewatch as a way to look back on what I remember, I guess, about the series as a whole once I'm done with my rewatch. And I didn't really do that, but, you know, I'm using notes that I first took 10 years ago, so I am kind of doing that as I go episode by episode. I'm updating um, I'm, I'm looking at these things in a new way. If I had to take a stab at 
kind of like an overview of the entire series. I can remember being frustrated by some of the later seasons, maybe around 7, 8, or 9, because it felt like it became too much of the Green Arrow show. And I remember not being a, flan- a fan of um, when they used to call Clark the Blur. I felt like that lasted way too long. Uh, originally, I, I was kind of opposed to them bringing in Lois Lane when they did. I felt like Smallville should have been kept from too much Metropolis stuff, but um, I think I changed my mind on that. We'll see how I feel about that with this go-around. Generally, and this goes to many of the projects that feature Superman, I find that I get fairly emotional when it comes to any kind of messing around in the Superman mythos, and I'm not sure if that's because of the iconic nature of the character the um, sentimentality that I have, the emotional manipulation that creators use because they know they can get away with things, right? They can get away with putting in the John Williams Superman song and they can get away with um, mentioning little Easter eggs. And if you're a Superman fan or you're someone into comics, most times you're like, yes, Superman, yay. So yeah, I get, I can get invested in, in a show like this, even though I'm re-watching it again, because it's Superman, and while he may not be my favorite character, the idea of Superman rings fairly strong in this series. So, if you want to leave feedback, you can uh, send feedback, peter at thedailyrios.com, or leave a comment on the website, and then you can follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios, if you want to have a discussion as well. So the five episodes I've seen this week, this past week, Hourglass, Craving, Jitters, Rogue, and Shimmer. So I'm going to start with some larger thoughts based on all five of the episodes, and and then I'll go into episode-by-episode notes. Uh, As a whole, I'm still sort of surprised at how well done this first season is, even if it is the Kryptonite Monster of the Week season there, there's some real pacing going on. The creators obviously have some ideas about character triangles and character beats and the, and the journeys that these characters are taking, uh, not only individually, but together, whether it's in reaction to what's going on in Smallville or it's in reaction to whatever is going on with Clark. Um, so I'm only 10 episodes in and I'm going, okay, it's not it's not a bad season. You know, we've had shows that have lasted for a long time where everybody always says, ugh, skip that first season. I don't think you can. I think you need, you need to see how the writers and creators are, are steering the Smallville, uh, excuse me, the Superman mythos to fit this particular TV show and what they, what they're doing. Otherwise, if you go too late into the show, like say you start with the second or third season, you're already going to see a Lex that's kind of bad and you're already going to see a Clark that has a little bit more ownership of his powers and, you know, Ma and Pa Kent are the Ma and Pa Kent that you know without any kind of uncertainty. So I think you need this first season. Um, I'm starting to chart the individual writers and directors for each episode because I want to see if there's a consistency among those episodes that I feel 
are stronger than other ones. And this started because the opening of episode six, Hourglass, even though it's an important episode, the opening felt a little off. So I'm going to start doing that episode to episode. So let's talk about Clark's powers in all of these episodes. In the first five, he was very unsure. He was very uncertain about his powers. He was even scared of them a little. But in these five, he's more comfortable. They are starting to up the stakes when it comes to what he has to do with his powers. And he's getting a little more certain. And he's definitely not afraid to use them in front of his parents. So in the Hourglass episode... Uh, we have a couple of scenes where it looks like Clark is trying to call on his senses. We know he has x-ray vision, but he may not know how to trigger his superhero hearing or to really use his heightened vision. So in one scene in that episode, he gets overtaken. But in the other scene, it looks like he's really assessing the situation around him in a super way, even if he's not necessarily using his superpowers. So I thought I thought that was a good development for uh, all of this like early stage stuff. And he does feel like a rookie at times. Um, there's other times where he is actively um, using his abilities to uh, maybe steer a situation or close up some kind of, you know, something that's happening in a building or whatever. He's using them out in the open with people around and and in situations where he could get caught, but he's uh, trying to learn how to use his powers without anybody noticing them. And then in episode nine, Rogue, uh, he stops a runaway bus from hitting uh, someone in a bus kiosk. And it's probably the largest effect uh, to date um, concerning his abilities where he just stands in the way of this bus and it smashes around him and he even looks a little surprised by what happened that he was able to stop the bus with just his body uh, so that was kind of nice to see and then the Kents in return even though they're always wary about Clark using his powers where he in public where he could get caught they made sure to praise Clark for saving someone, uh, making sure that they are recognizing his heroic nature. So that's the other element, obviously, that when you have a Superman story with the Kents, they are going to be there to guide him along the way. And while we've been seeing uh, you know, both of them being sort of cautious, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they develop into parents that allow him to do what he's going to do but guide him along the way and then we also had uh, an effect in this same episode episode nine where uh someone shoots a gun at clark and and it's kind of like the old you know faster than a speeding bullet and it's a slightly odd effect um tom welling's acting is a little weird because you know he has to deal with looking at something that's not there. But it's kind of nice to see Clark's realization of just how fast he can be. These five episodes also bring out the curiosity in Lex about Clark. So in that same episode, Six Hourglass, Lex brings Clark to the room where he's holding his damaged Porsche. And he asks Clark, Clark if he uh, has any info on what happened. And it feels like he's already suspecting Clark. It's far earlier than I remember, 
um, that they're doing this already. And it's the drive behind everything that Lex does for a while. He wants information. Why did he survive? How is Clark involved? And what else does he know? And then in episode seven, Cravings, there's a scene where Lex asks Clark if he remembers where he was when the storm hit, and Clark has to admit that he wasn't adopted yet. So there's this mystery around Clark's origin that comes up a few times, and especially with Lex. And then in uh, another episode, Lex is asked, why does a billionaire's son care so much about a bunch of rocks that fell out of the sky 12 years ago? And Lex says, I save that story for people I trust. So pieces are coming together. Lex is learning not only things, uh, learning about things about Clark, but also about the meteors and, and Smallville. So that's a larger part of this season that'll play out. Uh, a few little things about Lana, episode six. Lana learns about the Wall of Weird. She's sort of freaked out about it because uh, it reminds her of the most painful moment of her life when she lost her parents. And um, she says to Clark that he's the only one who doesn't see her as the fairy princess who lost her parents because she was the face of the disaster for a magazine cover. And then in episode seven, we learn that uh, Lana's parents used to take her to a drive-in and she says, I remember, that's the last time I remember feeling completely safe. So that's a big thing with her because we've already heard that the reason she's with Whitney is because he makes her feel safe. So um, that's an element to the Lana character for Smallville. And then, of course, uh, the other larger thing with these episodes, we get the Kryptonite Monster of the Week, episode 6 was a, a guy who could uh, de-age. So it made me think of the Legion of Superheroes character known as Evolvo Lad, sort of, because he could um, create him, uh, a prehistoric version of himself and a futuristic version of himself. So it's kind of the same power. And in that same episode, we had a character named Cassandra who could see visions of the future. So right there, that feels like uh, Dream Girl from Legion of the Superheroes. And it's kind of funny because Pa Kent says to Clark, there's nothing she can do to control the future. Nobody can. And while he's right, it's interesting to see the Kents sometimes being open to the weirdness around them and then other times not so much. And it makes me feel like really it's for the writing's sake. In episode seven, Cravings, we get a character who uh, can drain the fat out of people out of individuals because because there's a hunger inside her and this made me think of uh of course matter eater lad but also calorie queen from the legion of superheroes episode eight is a is entitled jitters uh, a character who gets the shakes basically to the point where he can create tremors so that felt like quake kid also from this episode it's one of the first times that a kryptonite monster of the week uh, affected Clark just by Clark being near them. So the kryptonite inside the person, the radiation, has a, is affecting Clark. So that, uh, that happens in this episode and also happens in episode 10. Uh, episode 9, there was no kryptonite monster of the week, which was a, a nice change. Episode 10, Shimmer is a character who coats uh, themselves with uh, 
these roses that are kryptonite infused and then it creates invisibility. So that's another reason why Clark is affected by this character. And that would be the Legion of Superheroes character known as Invisible Kid. So my whole theory about they're just using base powers based on characters on, uh, from the Legion of Superheroes and from comics in general seems to be ringing true. I liked that these five episodes addressed some questions that I had from the first five. This notion about if all of this kryptonite arrived in Smallville, why isn't it affecting everybody, not just the kryptonite monsters of the week? So we get a scene in episode seven where Lex is uh, being uh, going through some kind of physical. And the doctor says that he has unusually elevated white cell count. And the doctor even goes on to say that this is something that he has seen uh, elsewhere. It's like a trend in Smallville. And the doctor is placing it at the feet of the Luther Corps plant, but obviously we know it's because of all the kryptonite in the area. And Lex even says that he doesn't get sick. He had asthma as a kid, but it disappeared the day that he lost his hair, which is a nice callback to the pilot when he was using an inhaler right before the meteor storm. And then the other notion is, can a kryptonite, monst kryptonite monster of the week be good and not bad? And we did see that. Cassandra got her visions uh, when she went blind in the meteor storm, and she was ultimately a good character. Uh, the, char the, the kryptonite monster in Craving uh, of eventually by the end had a change of heart. And the character in Jitters wasn't a bad character, just he was just panicked and confused. But I wouldn't say he was evil um, or out to get, you know, anybody. So that was nice. That was nice to see that some of those things got addressed. And then a real minor takeaway from all of these episodes, three of the main characters, Tom Welling, Kristen Kruick, Allison Mack, all have green eyes and... Michael Rosenbaum, as Lex Luthor, has blue eyes, which is a switch. Usually in the Superman mythos, uh, Clark Kent has blue eyes and Lex Luthor has green eyes. So, like I said, just a small tidbit there. So let's go to each episode. We have episode six, Hourglass. This is a fairly important episode along the way in season one. It does a number of things, mostly dealing with destiny and the future of Clark and Lex. Destiny is a word that gets thrown a lot in this episode and in this season. So when uh, this character of Cassandra, who can see the future, is talking to Clark, um, she says things like, fear the future or you can embrace it. Uh, she says to Lex, I, or, or Lex says to her, I believe we make our own destiny, which is kind of a connection back to the pilot, something that Lionel said. And there's a part where Pa and Clark are talking about Cassandra. And Pa says, your destiny may be to protect people, but our destiny is to protect you. And that has to come first. Which, you know, a lot of people are against the the Man of Steel portrayal of Jonathan Kent, but I feel like this dialogue kind of steers along that same path. And uh, all of the Pa Kents always seem to worry that someone will come to take Clark away, whether it was the original movie, Smallville, and other other origin stories. And I feel like it's okay for Pa Kent or even Jor-El to sometimes give Clark the wrong advice 
because ultimately it's Clark that shapes his own path. So even though he's a product of all of these fathers, he they are just men in the long run, but he's a Superman. And I feel like this is a point some people twist a little bit. You know, they kind of want to they want to see Pa Kent or Jor-El or Ma Kent as infallible as these the ultimate paragon of these guides. But Clark is a product of many different worlds. So they are going to make mistakes, just like Jor-El makes mistakes about what he wants for his son. So does Pa Kent. And ultimately, it is the culmination of what they say that makes Superman. So I think it's okay to get some dialogue like this every now and then because they're figuring it out as it goes. This episode gives us George Murdoch as Harry, the kryptonite monster of the week. It feels like a lot of these episodes are really bringing out some either guest stars or just actors who are in a lot of genre TV stuff because George Murdoch, at least from what I know, is Admiral Hansen from Star Trek The Next Generation during the Best of Both Worlds episodes. Speaking of Cassandra's visions, she reads Clark and he sees a vision of all of his loved ones dead, which, you know, if Superman is practically immortal, that is a vision that will come true. And if we think of later seasons, uh, her fortune about someone around him dying does eventually come true when it comes to, uh, you know, someone close to Clark in a later episode in Smallville. Clark says to his parents, I saw an endless graveyard like I was the last person on Earth. Again, writers have toyed with Superman's immortality. They've toyed with this concept. Clark doesn't want his destiny to be to live to outlive everyone I love. I don't want to be alone. And I think that's a, a really nice small little insight into Clark at this time. Cassandra says that she knows that Clark is not like other people. She saw him before they ever met. His destiny is to help people to save them from fear and darkness. Now, it's way too early to be talking about Darkseid, but he does show up in later seasons and, you know, you use the word darkness and it's kind of like, ooh, it's a throwaway line here, but, you know, headcanon, you could make the connection to later seasons. And then the best vision is with Lex, where Cassandra sees that he is the president and he has a gloved right hand. And then he's standing out in a sunflower field and he drains the sunflowers of their life. And underneath is just a pile of skeletons and then the sky turns red and it starts to rain blood. And he's in this white uniform that gets covered in the rain. It's really great and has a ton of nods to the comics. I mean, everything from Lex Luthor being president in uh, DC Comics from late 2000 to early 2003 uh, Lex Luthor lost his right hand during the burn run because he used to wear a kryptonite signet ring to keep Superman at bay, and eventually that radiation affected it, affected his hand, so he lost his hand. And then you could look at the red skies as being crisis or, again, dark side-related, apocalypse-related. It's just really, really great. It's early on in the show, uh, it's also kind of interesting to see how much glee Lex has 
in this vision with all of the destruction around him. And then like the whole thing with the sunflowers, you could say is a metaphor for Clark because he's powered by the sun. So Lex, Lex Luthor is draining the, the energy out of the sunflowers, draining the energy out of Clark. I mean, there's so much to it that you could read into it. It was really pretty great. Uh, and then a few more things for this episode. Um, the villain, Harry, he brings up Hiram Kent, Clark's grandfather. This is the second mention of Clark's grandfather, which I think is a nice touch with the Smallville stuff because I don't think we ever get too deep into the Kent history uh, in the comics other than the Kent's Maxi series, which I haven't read in a long time. Uh, but Harry, even Harry feels like, hmm, there's a mystery surrounding the Kent family tree. So that's cool. And then there's a comic book mythos thing where Harry tells Lana that the Langs moved to Smallville in 1938, the same year that Action Comics number one was released. Episode 7, Cravings. Here we have Amy Adams as the kryptonite monster of the week. Amy Adams is 27 at this point. She's mostly doing TV stuff. This is prior to Catch Me If You Can. And it's obviously interesting because she eventually plays Lois Lane in the Man of Steel movie. And I feel because she is older than most of her co-stars while she's filming this episode, it gives her kryptonite monster of the week more of a presence than some of the other ones. She feels she feels like a good actress, even in these early days. And you can really feel the emotionality in the character, which I really liked. In this episode, we also get Dr. Stephen Hamilton, played by Joe Morton, who will eventually play Silas Stone in Justice League, in the movie Justice League. Now, Hamilton is the last name, the same last name as Emil, Emil Hamilton, of DC Comics, and we will get a another Dr. Hamilton later in Smallville. Lex goes to Stephen Hamilton to learn about the meteors because uh, Hamilton is a mineralogist, and he says that the meteors alter cellular, cellular makeup. So again, I'm glad that they're addressing the larger issue of why there are so many meteors uh, all throughout Smallville. And then Hamilton gives Lex a meteor. Uh, we learn that, let's see, what else? In, oh, in this episode, um, Chloe and Clark figure out pretty quickly that Amy Adams is behind everything that's happening. And I kind of like that, uh, they're giving in to the weirdness and they're sort of making their connections much faster instead of sort of doubting, oh no, it couldn't be our, our friend because she's nice. They're like right in like, yep, it's her. So I kind of like that. Uh, Pa Kent says something nice here. He says, well, when you do the things you do, Clark, helping people sometimes, you have to make sacrifices. And I think this had to do with, I think it had to do with something where he had to skip a dance or something like that. But again, a little bit of advice along the way for the Kents. Uh, and then this episode ends with Clark uh, giving Lana a birthday gift. That's it. He couldn't go to the, her birthday because he was out, you know, saving the day. And they sit in a drive-in, like I mentioned earlier, and uh, watch cartoons. And, you know, it's Clark giving Lana a little bit of her childhood back. This episode, I also started to pay attention to the title. So this title is called Craving. And I think this is fun because titles titles have meanings. And craving, obviously, is the kryptonite monster of the week, but it could also mean that Lex is craving information, Lana is craving uh, safety or normalcy. 
So it's kind of nice. It plays on multiple levels. Episode 8, Jitters, another genre star. We have Tony Todd. Uh, The special effects in this episode are not great when he shakes, but, you know, whatever. It is 2001. Uh, We get the first appearance of Metropolis when the Kents are on their anniversary in Metropolis. And we learn that Martha is from the city. So we get this, we could get this interesting dynamic of Martha being a city girl, Jonathan being a farm boy, which is not terribly far off from how they usually portray Clark and Lois. Uh, So with the Kents gone, Clark decides to have a party at the house. It gets out of control. And years before Quicksilver does it in X-Men Days of Future Past, we get this slow-motion scene with Clark, uh, you know, weaving through people and um, trying to, uh, you know, catching something when it falls. So it kind of reminded me of that later scene with Quicksilver. Lionel returns in this episode. I always love when he shows up uh, because there's a hostage situation at one of the uh, Luther plants. And we see that Lionel meets the Kents, although he probably has met Pa before. There's some history here. But it's just really interesting to see Lionel, to see John Glover look at Pa Kent. And you get the sense that he already knows more about the Kents and Clark at this point than we know. And I think that's great. I also really love how Lex gets thrown off his game whenever Lionel is around. So eventually, once everything gets wrapped up, uh, Clark and Lex had to be involved in uh, saving the the kryptonite monster, saving people from the kryptonite monster of the week. Um, And it's a good ending because the Kents are embracing Clark and Lionel is embracing Lex, but it feels very false. And Lex is looking over at the Kents and you can just see the way he's staring at them that there's a couple things he wants. He wants a family, but maybe he's even starting to resent Clark a little bit for having that family. But also he wants to know what's up with Clark. Like how did Clark save the day in this episode with Lex right there? So it's a big stunt where this catwalk fall uh, is, is starting to fall and Clark has to pull up both Tony Todd and Lex Luthor. And just Lex is just amazed that he could do it. So here's this whole savior thing again. Every time someone needs somebody, Clark seems to be there. And then we have this larger mystery Lex has about Clark. And all Clark can say is it must have been adrenaline. So mystery upon mystery upon mystery. And then the title Jitters obviously is everything to do with the powers of, of you know shaking and quaking. But also Jitters, a coffee shop in Central City in the flash. <laughs> so it's kind of kind of a, a weird title there. Episode 9, Rogue, is Clark's first time in Metropolis where he gets uh, wrapped up in this uh, crooked cop named Sam Phelan and he eventually gets blackmailed uh, because Phelan sees when Clark stops the bus. So he sees that there's something about him. He even says to Pa, uh, Phelan says to Pa about Clark, Clark's natural instinct is to get involved, which is a pretty spot-on observation. So eventually, you know, things work out, um, but Clark gets used by this character, and before uh, this character um, gets shot at the end, 
and Lex wants to know what he has on Clark, but the character dies and doesn't tell him. Doesn't tell Lex that he knows that he has abilities. But again, there's something more going on, and Lex knows this. Um, when Pa Kent gets arrested because Phelan sets him up for a, a bad murder rap, this is the first time we get to see Clark lash out in anger. He punches a beam, uh, he, he grabs Phelan and smacks him up against the wall. And Tom Welling does some good acting. I mean, there's some real rage on his face. And, he, and he's such a good-looking guy, right? Like, he's like a puppy most of the time. But then all of a sudden, his face just changes and his teeth come out. I thought it was really a nice acting moment. And Clark even says to Pa later, I wanted to kill him. I was close. So this is good. This is another part of these early stages with Superman, with Clark, um, making sure that he doesn't abuse his powers out of anger or emotionality. So it was nice to see that. And then we get a little bit of a, a, a dip in the Clark-Lex relationship because Clark learned some things about Lex from Phelan. And Clark says, you know, he told me you have secrets. So we get some doubt entering into their friendship for the first time. At the end of the episode, Clark, uh, excuse me, Lex, looks at some footage from the museum where all of this, where this um, episode takes place, and he sees a blur. He sees this figure speeding away. Even though during the episode, Phelan cut all the cameras, apparently there was one still there, I guess, so that was a bad writing thing. But, okay, so now Lex has proof that something is going on. There is somebody with some kind of mystery. You know, does he know it's Clark yet? I don't think so but he has now proof that something is going on in Smallville. We get a new character in this episode, Victoria Hardwick, who is the daughter of a rival of Lionel's from another company. And of course, Victoria wants to use Lex to take over Le Luther Corps, but then the two kids decide, hmm, what if we team up and take the companies away from our parents? Um, it's a storyline that doesn't get much play, but... Um, you know, I guess they needed something to do with uh, with Lex and, and, you know, try to give him something more to do, I guess. Uh, Chloe gets a little bit of a ramp up in this episode where she says um, where she's not happy at all when Lana walks in on her and Clark having a conversation. It's a really good acting moment where she throws daggers at Clark because he immediately pays attention and starts to fawn over Lana and, you know, Chloe is, like, so disappointed. And then later in the episode, uh, Chloe is fired from the torch. Lana is made editor as a way to give the torch back to Chloe. But, of course, Chloe's not happy. And she even says, you know, bad enough that Lana has Clark, but now, the, now she's taken the torch. Which, of course, Lana's like, what? What do you mean? Uh, um, so, a little bit going on there with Chloe. A very obvious Superman mythos thing when Clark is looking at a chess plate in the museum that was worn by Alexander the Great, it has this, like, emblem on it. It looks like a snake in the form of an S, and it's all blue and red and gold. And Lex says, uh, you know, it symbolizes strength and courage. And then Clark says, hmm, I can't exactly see myself going to, into battle wearing that, uh, wearing that on my chest. And, you know, obviously he does. Uh, and then the title, Rogue. Obviously there's a rogue cop. Uh, Lex and Victoria are rogue, uh, rich kids going rogue. 
Even Clark goes rogue from the advice of his parents when he tries to take matters into his own hands in this episode. So title has a lot of meanings there. And then finally, episode 10, Shimmer. The larger story is about a family that lives in the mansion. Uh, the mother is a housekeeper in the mansion, and there's these two kids who are, you know, kind of um, introverts. One of them has a crush on Lex, and you're made to think that she's the one that has the power, but it's actually the brother who can turn himself invisible. Um, there's a blood drive going on at the school during all of this, and Clark doesn't want to participate, understandably, because they'll they'll find out information about him. I don't think I don't think we get the feeling that uh he's afraid that they they'll see that needles don't work on him. Really it's about the blood, which is kind of interesting. And there's a line that Pa gives, again, like I said before, uh giving him giving Clark some advice and saying, look, I can't believe I'm actually going to say this, but I guess you can't always be honest with people. It's one of the prices you pay for your abilities. Uh, I forget if that's about the blood drive or not, but again, there there you are seeing Pa Kent making giving advice that um is not always in the positive, right? This is a this is something that he's giving to Clark because he wants to be uh make sure that Clark is aware of how his abilities could go wrong or how people could take his abilities. This episode for me had a really standout Clark and Lana scene, a couple scenes. Um, it's the first time that their friendship kind of dips into romance. And, and Chloe even warns Clark about, about crossing over, you know. Um, and you could sort of see it as Chloe's way of warning maybe herself or trying to put herself into the situation. So anyway, there's a scene. Uh, Clark says right, says right to Lana, if you really want to thank me, don't talk about Whitney. And I thought, wow. You know, he's really fighting for his space. And he even says that to Lex, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm going to fight for Lana, just like Lex advised him to do. In that same scene, Clark brings up that Jonathan and Nell used to date, which was a nice little callback to the pilot that I had a question about. Uh, Lana talks about Clark to him and says, you know, you're not always there when you want it. Clark isn't always there when you want him, but he's always there when you need him. They almost kiss. And it's coming from both of them. It's not like Clark leaning into Lana. Like, they both are going to kiss, but then Nell interrupts. Uh, it's a definite start to the Clark-Lana romance from both participants. It makes me wonder if... Well, let me save that point. So later, uh, there's a scene in the loft... And again, Lana's ready to start something with Clark, but he steps up and steers her back to Whitney because she's still with him. And, you know, there again, Clark making that sacrifice. And it's a bit overdramatic, but it makes sense for a teen show. And I'm sure it's not the first time Clark is going to push Lana away. Now, what it made me think is, you know, it's obviously too early in the show. It's only the first 10 episodes of the first season for the creators to eventually plan that Lois is going to show up, right? They they had no idea how long the show was going to last at this point. They probably just assumed that uh, a show called Smallville would always be about Clark and Lana. So that is the underlying romance that they're trying to develop and trying to enforce, even if you know the S Superman mythos and you know that he's eventually going to uh, meet up with Lois. So this, this romance is destined to be doomed, but it makes you wonder, you know, this early on, they probably were just going to always have it be about Lana 
maybe they thought somewhere down the road they would have to end the romance, even if they were never going to introduce Lois. But, you know, I don't, I'm not digging into the um, behind the scenes stuff with Smallville as I watch, but it would be interesting to know uh, or maybe read about, you know, what did they really think about Clark and Lana and did they have any notion that Lois would have would be the cause of their demise later or was that something they just brought up later because the show got so successful so um just a few more points here uh the way the kryptonite monster of the week wraps up into into the Lex story is they go after this new character Victoria the brother is going after her as a way to um, get her out of the picture because his sister has a crush on Lex. Uh, but what we learn is Victoria is snooping about and she uh, snoops on Lex's laptop and we see Cadmus Labs. We see a, a logo for the Cadmus Lab. And I was like, whoa, I totally forgot that Cadmus was a part of this. Cadmus is... Um, is it a part of Arrow? I can't remember. I know Argus is, but I forget if Cadmus is. But Cadmus and its connection to Lex plays out even in the current Titans season two. Like there's a whole communi- uh, connection thing going on there. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and then we see Clark using his powers in the Lex mansion, even though Lex said he has cameras everywhere. So it makes you wonder, hmm, you know, that's not a smart idea to use your abilities so openly in the Lex Mansion. And then there's a final shot in this episode of Clark looking at Whitney and Lana again. And, you know, it's supposed to, it's supposed to be Clark's loneliness. There's no dialogue. It feels a little forced in this episode because it's so quick. And it's just like a way to sort of say, oh, right, remember, Clark loves Lana. But, uh, you know, it, it was what it was. So there you go. That's it for this episode for my notes. Uh, If you want all the other notes, you have to go read the website. But it's kind of fun to summarize here on these episodes. By the way, we have some other podcasters who are doing some summaries of popular geek uh, stuff during this year. We have Ryan Sanyo of the Sanyo cast taking a look at Spider-Man the Animated Series that started in 1994. Ryan is uh, two episodes into that series. And Eric, my co-host on the uh, Legion Project, over on the Longbox Review, is doing blog posts on one of my favorite series, The Weekly 52. And you can read about why he's covering 52. It's the uh, uh, 15th anniversary of that series. It's a series that I've been longing to revisit uh, we did it on CGS month to month, but I, I obviously took a lot of notes issue by issue. So I'll have to play along with Eric's uh, blog posts and see what uh, see what kind of observations he, he has. So there you go. Two more projects of people digging into some popular stuff. All right. This has been The Daily Rios, episode 494 for Monday, January 18th, 2021. Sometime after this episode drops, you uh, you can then go to the website where I will be starting week three with episode number 11. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.